everybody. Welcome to episode 20 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I am Jonathan Lee, your host with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. How are you doing, man? Good. How are you, sir? Doing well. It's been a while. It has been a while, yeah. and it is very early today. It is. But we yeah. got to get caught up. We're, we have to get caught up. We're squeezing in here at Trainer Road HQ before things open up for the day. True. Uh, so we're getting in early. And to be frank, man, we had a lot of people, by the way, saying that they missed the podcast. So thank yeah. you for reaching out and letting us know that. Um, we certainly weren't voluntarily taking time off. It was yeah. rough, man. There's a lot going on the last couple of weeks. I, I had some some family issues that I don't wish upon anybody else. I had, uh, had some pretty scary health issues as well. Yeah. <laughs> I've had in the past little bit. Lots of things, man. It's been tough. And I had finals. Yes. Which isn't really a great excuse, but you know. That's that just, it's valid, man. So things have been really busy. We apologize yeah. for missing, uh, and we are going to be much better. We will uh, getting your podcast out every week. Uh, we're going to do that. So uh, today is going to be a little different. We're just going to answer because you guys have sent in so many questions, which is awesome. Keep it going. You can do so at mtbpodcast.com. Uh, where can they find us on the socials? Stephen? They can find us at uh, MTB Podcast on Instagram, the MTB Podcast on Twitter, and MTB Podcast on Facebook. Correct. Yep. Uh, reach out to us there as well. And if you go to mtbpodcast.com, you can listen to the latest episodes, share it from there. Uh, you can also, from that same spot, uh, you, you can submit your questions. It's pretty easy to do. And you can buy shirts and stuff. Yes, which a bunch of you have been buying shirts and sweatshirts and all that stuff. And uh, I've seen that we've gotten a few requests for onesies. So if you want to, have, not not adult onesies, that's weird. But we're nope. talking baby onesies. Okay. If you say it's <laughs> Ste- weird. Steven's disappointed. You're not coming to any of my onesie parties, bud. <laughs> well, shoot, I'm out. Uh, but you can go on there and you can get that stuff too on mtbpodcast.com. You can check it out there. Uh, Stephen, before we go any further, we should probably take care of just a few due diligence items, though. Uh, Before we get into everybody's questions, uh, let's get into the news. Okay. News team, assemble! So this news is going to be pretty quick. Uh, So we had EWS Madeira. That that happened. It did happen. And uh, it was a little rainy in the beginning, and then it started to dry out toward the end, and it was two days of racing. And Greg Callahan took it. The Irishman. Good job, man. And he's rolling into a home EWS round. uh, I believe it's in a week or two. So coming up soon. Yeah. So the racing was cool. Probably the most picturesque thing I've ever seen was stage eight. They were on this like shark fin of earth that stuck up and it was all green and luscious, but it was kind of like rocky, you know, kind of crushed. It looked like almost like crushed granite in that area. And then it was just like a sheer drop down to the ocean. And it was the coolest looking shot. Just so cool. So, yeah. And the the course was interesting. You saw a lot of riders dealing with flat tires. I think it was on stage three or four, a bunch of flat tires. So I saw a lot of Dyna plugs being used. If anybody doesn't know what a Dyna plug is, how could we describe that? Dyna plug is a, it's like a car plug, like a tire plug, but for your bike. It's a little rubbery guy. It's a little rubber cylinder that you just like shove into a hole in your tire. And you usually have like a needle tool to kind of like stick in there. And then when you pull it back out, the rubber stays in. Correct? Yeah. Dynaplug, it's it's basically an entire kit that has everything you need. So yes. it's pretty cool. Yeah. They're pretty sweet. So I saw a lot of people using Dynaplugs, um, guys really working hard to try to get things to seat. They all were using CO2s, not yep. floor pumps. Uh, yeah. It's obviously very hard to carry a floor pump and none of them actually seem to be able to fit a large 
hand pump in the inside their frame. Serious. Strangely yeah, enough, that's odd. Yeah. So, uh, but they were all using CO twos to get things to sit uh, to seat, and I assume that that just means that you probably have to carry a whole, a whole handful of CO twos. You know, true. Uh, you, because that does drop down after a while. If anybody doesn't know, if you use a CO two to pump up your tire, it will deflate over time to within reason. So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but that was interesting to see. Uh, Cecile Ravenel took the women's side of things as well, um, and she had a pretty big gap. But Richie Rude was able to win the final stages. It seems like now there's a correlation here, and I'm not going to be so bold as to call it causation. But as the stages have have gone on in the last couple races, the racing has gotten drier, mm-hmm. and Richie Rude has started winning in the latter points of the or latter latter stages, no pun intended there, yeah. but in the latter stages of these races. So I think that there's some type of a correlation there. Maybe. I don't know. He's really strong, uh, like a strong rider, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, of, of physically any type of limitations in, in, in wet. I can't think of any. Well, really. it's, I, I wouldn't say it's physical limitations on, you know, on, on Richie's side, I think it might have more to do with him possibly choosing a tire compound based on knowing that it's going to dry out eventually. Yeah. Um, you know, or tire choices in general, not even just the the compound. And so. some riders are just good at riding in the mud too. And that's true. When I say just good, really, that means that their technique is very refined for mud. They know exactly what to do, that type of a thing. Or their riding style just might cater more toward that, right? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, riding in mud, you know, is really controlled chaos. It's not, it is. It's not like there's any finesse about it. It's mm-hmm. controlling the inevitable, you know, death and dismemberment that's going to happen. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunate death and dismemberment. Yeah. Uh, so that happened. Also, uh, cross-country marathon national championships happened. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, not much noise on it at all. No. SAC, get on that. I don't yeah. know why you're not doing that. Uh, but that happens, and Payson McKelvin took it. Uh-huh. Good job, man. He's been he's being showered currently with American flag stuff from Trek and Oakley and all that stuff. Well, he's of just yeah. So it's pretty cool to see, and you can genuinely tell how excited he is about it. So I wonder if Oakley made him like an American flag print set of gas cans. Uh, <laughs> no, because then they'd have to get him a huge Duramax with the smokestack sticking out of the bed. So and a Santa Cruz Nomad. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Santa Cruz losers. We love our owners. Yeah, we we do love you guys. We're just joking. Was uh, that a Freudian slip? Uh, I don't know. Rose Grant. It. She won. She did win. Uh, she got uh, she, and which is amazing because Rose Grant. Uh, for those that don't know, she separated her shoulder after I think the second U.S. Cup this year. Yeah, and she's been riding with a brace and coming back from that so good job rose and then just a personal shout out to friend of the podcast friend of mine brian gordon he is one of the product developers in the mountain bike uh department at specialized and he absolutely shreds Mm -hmm. and he got he won he got he's been trying to get a marathon national championship title for a long time and he finally got one so he's had a lot of bad luck and just you know not good days yeah and he finally have one nice so good job brian way to go uh the other bit of news this uh, past weekend, I went to the Pro XCT in Midway, Utah. So for, for those that don't know, the Pro XCT is like the traveling, uh, or it's the it's the premier XC series in the U.S., mm-hmm. so cross-country series in the U.S. And they've had uh, a couple rounds that are going to be up in Montana soon. 
different places. And this is the first time they've done it in Utah in this area. And it was in Midway, Utah at a place called Soldier Hollow. And it's actually where they had the Nordic skiing during the Olympics and it was there. So it's a really cool facility. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. It was crazy. Like you felt like you were in the Alps because the mountains right there are extremely rugged and they just jut straight up from the valleys and everything's green and oh, it was gorgeous. Nice. So, and it green now because it's spring. I know it'll turn brown later, but it was awesome. Uh, the course was interesting. It was not technical at all. The A-lines had some technicality to them. Uh, and I'm sure, and I don't want to discount that. For a lot of people, the A-lines are really hard yeah. uh, but or, or scary. But the the actual terrain, hardly a rock. Uh, there, were, there was a section with big granite slabs, but hardly a rock. Like there was like no loose rock. It was just dirt with grass everywhere. Yeah. So you could really carry a bunch of momentum uh, through turns and do a lot of things like that, which it was a ton of fun. And then they had uh, one A-line that took you uh, down a pretty steep granite slab. Yeah. And when you'd go down that steep granite slab, you would end up uh, running through like some really tight sections in the Aspens after that. Really fun. Mm -hmm. So that was one A-line. The next A-line was a rock garden, but I think they just forced everybody through that rock garden because it really wasn't too bad. Yeah. Uh, they, and there was a rock drop before that, probably like a two, three foot drop. Okay. And then they had another A-line where you like jumped up on top of like a rock thing and landed on like a wood like plank. Was uh, that where you had the really cool picture of you? That was the next one. Oh, okay. Sorry. And that Getting was, ahead of you. There were a lot of them. Yeah. And then the next one was uh, basically a tree with a gigantic root. And it was kind of like uh, the, the root was probably about waist high. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just basically had to pick up on top of the thing and then, you know, not go over the bars going over the top of it. So it was actually, it was really fun. Uh, yeah. Those little, those little things like that made it a lot of fun. I wish they would have made the B line slower in a lot of those spots because they weren't too slow. And the final A line was a drop that the actual drop was about two and a half feet through, or probably three feet, but just with the speed you carried and everything else, you probably dropped closer to four to five feet. Gotcha. Um, but it was a ton of fun. Really good course. Uh, Summit, I believe it's the Summit. Oh, Summit Cycling, perhaps. I, I'm sorry if I messed that up. They were the team. It's a junior team that put it on, okay. and they organized it, and what a good job. Like It was a really, really well-run race. Keegan Swenson went 1-1 in the pro division. He destroyed it. Yeah. I did terribly, and I'm just going to cover this really quickly, and then we'll move on. And I know that sounds like <laughs> I don't want to focus on my balls here, but... Let's Basically, talk about you, Jonathan. As I mentioned before, I've had some pretty gnarly life stuff recently yeah. and as a, and that are still ongoing. And my my training has dropped to a low priority, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, it needed to because other things needed to take priority. Of course. And as a result, my training was inconsistent going into this race, so I knew that my results weren't going to be great either. If your training isn't consistent, your results are going to be bad. That's just how it works. And, and I do believe in quality over just, you know, sheerly getting it done. True. But also if you just can't get it done, then you're really going to be suffering. Yeah. So, or you just drop down to cat three and destroy everybody. <laughs> yeah, I did not do that. <laughs> okay, good. But that would have been an option. And I probably would have gotten a prize or something. So, yeah. uh, and then socks. probably like a lot of things thrown at me too. But anyways, I ended up, I was in second uh, going up in my division. They started all the cat ones together, minus the juniors. They let them go ahead of us. But they started us all, and, and I, I got into like second, I think, in my division going up the first climb. And then I just, the first climb was pretty long. It was probably about 12 minutes long, maybe. Okay. 
And there came a point where I was, I knew that around on that climb, I needed to be somewhere around 340 to 350 Watts. Okay. And if I could hold that for the first lap, I should be able to just stay right in with the group and then I'd be able to recover and keep going. And I couldn't, I, I was lucky to pull 300 and it was just a flat day. And, uh, you know, something that I learned from that, and hopefully this can help people is when you're in that situation, don't panic and don't push yourself deeper than you, than you think you can sustain. Yeah. Because there were a bunch of people that I saw go with that pace and I just watched them right away from me. And that is so hard when they just, you know, drift away and you're watching everything happen in front of you. That's really hard. But then you watch know? all those puppies blow up at the, you know, yeah. Down. And certainly many of them did not blow up. Well, yeah, some of them, <laughs> but some did. of them did. Yeah. yeah. And so that's one key is just stay within yourself. And if you can't hold that really fast pace and XE on the first lap then stay within yourself and do count on the fact that your pacing will benefit you in some ways. Yeah. So that really did help. Uh, but I just had to stay within myself and, and do what I could. And I still emptied the tank hundred percent. And that's the cool thing about cross country racing. I know a lot of people just think that cross country racing is lame these days, but the thing about cross country is if you're having a bad day in terms of, you know, you just can't ride hard for one reason or another, Yeah. at least you can still empty the tank. True. You know what I mean by that? Like you can, you can go out and you can just give it absolutely a hundred percent and you will have done everything that you could have and contrasting to something like Enduro where you make a silly mistake and you have a crash and that really holds you back. Or, you know, you, you just miss a section of the course or you have a mechanical and sure mechanicals can happen in XC, but they're not as common usually for us amateur guys. You know, we don't have, we aren't running super light, you know, casing tires or something like that. Yeah. But that's the cool part about XC is that you can still go out and get, you know, your money's worth, so to speak. You can still go out and just go as hard as you possibly can. And if you've done that, then you don't have to worry about, you know, feeling guilt or anything else afterward. You yeah. gave it everything. Exactly. So uh, it was good. I ended up sixth in, in Cat 1, which was not good. Out of how many? <laughs> out of 10 <laughs> okay. in our division. And then there was just a massive group uh, outside of that. It was pretty small numbers in Cat 1. I, okay. I wish we could have seen more. but. Yeah. So not great. I'm used to being one or two in that type of a scenario, right? But but on that day, wasn't to be. Life happened, man. Yep. Next year, if they have that race, everybody should come do it. I mean it, everyone. So it Me is- Me too? Yes. Seriously. Ugh. It is so much fun. It's really hard in terms of it has steep little climbs everywhere, but yeah. those little A-lines are awesome. We need better hecklers too. And I understand that there were a lot of- kids racing and parents never like to like, you know, hear heckling or, or heckle their kids or anything like that. And I guess I can understand that, but my brother was down there playing. I think he was playing the Bee Gees and like some other music on a loudspeaker. And people were like, that is inappropriate. And he was like, you know, he's, he's just joking around, blowing a loud whistle and yelling funny things to me. So my brother and his wife and their friends too, <laughs> for, uh, listeners of the podcast, Wade and Tom, uh, sit away. Thanks for coming guys. Uh, they brought their families and cheered on too, but we need more heckling at that event too, man. Uh, make it fun. There's no, we don't have to take it too seriously. Mountain biking isn't fun unless there's hecklers. <laughs> like I, any I ride, any ride you ever go on. Yes. Even like, if you see somebody just riding down the trail, you should heckle them. Maybe not. <laughs> like we just showed up here today and I was wishing there was hecklers in the parking lot as we were walking into the trainer road HQ. It's fun. Yeah. It's a lot more fun that way. Yeah. Uh, Steven, that kind of covers things with news. Yeah. Uh, let's get into questions. Question. It's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. 
we have a lot of them. We're gonna go through as many as we can. It is certainly not all of them that have been submitted. They are pouring in with a greater frequency day after day. <laughs> so. We had to go into the double letters labeling. Yes. Yeah. So this is going to be a lot. Uh, let's go into the first one. Kaume. Uh, he says, hey, guys, one listener from, or I'm a listener from Catalonia. And for those that don't know, that's, that's a nearby cousin to Spain. Hopefully I'm not offending you, Kaume, by saying that. And he says, uh, I also love your podcasts. Um, I've been listening to your pod since the beginning, sometimes even more than once in case I miss something. Good to hear. Yeah. I ride, I ride a, 28, a 2008 Cannondale Carbon Rush. It's the mono pivot bike. Can you explain that really quick? Wasn't there much flexi going on with that bike? Uh, the yeah, the, the mono pivot, I'm not super familiar. I mean, I am, but it's early in the morning. So mono oh, yeah. pivot essentially is just a, a very old uh, single pivot design with just a, it's a, did it even have a pivot down at the lower part of the frame? Or? I actually don't remember on the rush. I think it was because they had the zero flex stays on the older scalpels. I think yeah. it might have been a similar version to that where it was actually um, in the lower right behind the bottom bracket. The the frame just flexed instead of having a pivot. I think that's how that system worked. I don't remember on the rush. It's pretty nuts when you yeah. think about it. Right? Well, I mean, to this day, that's how that's how the scalpels are. You know, well, up the scalpels until have recently. a pivot. Yeah. Well, up until recently, yeah. the scalpels have always been that way. <clears throat> yeah. So. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting design, but, you know, leave it to Cannondale to actually do something different than everybody right. else. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they work. Uh, he says, which I love, but I think it has arrived or the time has arrived for a new bike, new wheel sizes, new geometries, new suspension platforms. Since I got my last bike, thus, I think it's time for me to grab for the future. I've nailed down my new bike to four options. The Yeti SB 4.5. He says drink after that. So if you are playing that game, go ahead. Uh, Turner Flux. Ibis Ripley, the LS version, that's the new one, or the Santa Cruz Tallboy 3. Uh, he says, further than geometry and suspension kinematics, there's one thing that it concerns me a little. As you can imagine, I'm not changing my bikes very regularly, and I'm not kind of a mechanic geek. One of the things that I love for my Cannondale is that I barely do anything to her. Just left it in my garage after ride after ride, never got a creak or an issue. I'm aware that improving my rides with new suspension platforms as a DW Link, Switch Infinity, or VPP will come at the expense of more maintenance. My question is, if there is there big differences regarding maintenance regarding these platforms? Um, you know, the one thing is with all of the the non-switch infinity types, they're just bearings in the linkages. So uh, servicing them, that's, you know, everything is going to require that. Yeah. And that's, you know, not necessarily annually, depending on how hard you ride it and how good you take care of it and how much you wash your bike and how dirty it is and mm -hmm. how much mud you ride in. Um, it could last longer. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I didn't, uh, I had checked out the bearings in my ASR after, uh, a year of yeah. riding it and it was fine. They're totally fine. Yeah. No reason to replace them. Yeah. So, you know, with that said, there's maintenance isn't, is it, it's not a huge deal. Right. Um, you know, with the switch infinity, not many people in the U S are having any issues with the switch infinity, the Kashima coating wearing on them, but there's been a, um, <clears throat> a few in the UK with, you know, as much moisture and mud that they get right. where they're actually wearing the Kashima coat off of the actual infinity linkage. I would um, assume tangents. that's because they don't clean it. And that's what I don't know, because a lot of people are saying that they do clean their bikes. They do maintain their bikes and they are keeping to the, you know, keeping even to like the 40 to 60 hours of riding for lubing the switch infinity. So, mm -hmm. you know, for me personally, I've never seen one wear out. Yeah. Multiple years on one, just on a, on any of the linkages on any of the Yetis I've sold that, you know, or any of my friends own, uh, I've never seen one have any issues. 
Yeah, and I mean, you keep your bikes very clean. Yeah. And that's one thing that I really do think goes a lot longer than people think. They might wash their bike every week. Yeah. But when you wash your bike every ride, it yeah. makes a difference. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's a there's obviously a lot of variability mm-hmm. in in what maintenance is going to be based on your style of caring for your bike. But right. um, there's really you're not going to go wrong with any of those bikes the one thing that i would throw in there is if you're looking at a four or five but you want something simpler why not look at an asr or the new cannondale scalpel yeah the new scalpel is awesome it's more of an xc bike yeah and or with that said you know jumping down from a 29 inch wheel because every bike that he mentions is a 29er Mm -hmm. um actually i don't remember if the turner flux is a 29er i don't remember remember off the top of my head Um, and we actually have no internet right now so yeah other than our phones so yeah so you know the other thing (laughs) is you could also if you want something a little bit more trail oriented and don't mind going to a 27.5 look at the new trigger yeah yeah you know it's a good bike it's slacked out enough to be super comfortable on any you know aggressive trail but it's also a ridiculously you know good climbing bike so right so there's you know there's other options and that's a more simple geometry uh, right. as far as you know the kinematics and the suspension layout and how the pivots work so and being frank with all those designs that you threw out even though the the yeti certainly appears to be more fussy because it has those stanchions down there that things are gliding on and everything else I can't say that any of those bikes are really, you know, maintenance nightmares or, no, not at all. you know, all of them, you're, it's amazing. As long as you clean your bike and you take good care of it, uh, you don't, and when I say take good care of it, I mean, just don't, you know, run the thing through water all the time and yeah. just like, you know, <laughs> trash the bike. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, other than the Yeti ASR, all of those have six bearings yep. in all of their pivots, six or more. Yep. So yeah, it's uh, all up to you, but I shouldn't, I don't think that you'll have to worry about increasing maintenance too much. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. Kyle, uh, he says, uh, last year at the Whiskey Off-Road, I experienced leg cramps for the first time. And for those that don't know what the Whiskey Off-Road is, that's a long race in Prescott, Arizona. It's by Epic Rides, awesome events that they put on. Grand Junction Off-Road's coming up this weekend. So if you're listening to it, it might actually be happening as you are listening to it. Amazing. Or maybe you're racing it while you're listening to this podcast. That would be awesome. So awesome events. Uh, Check them out after Grand Junction. The next one is Carson City Off-Road. So uh, he says, I experienced leg cramps for the first time. Since it happened on about mile 30 on a climb named Cramped Hill, I wasn't overly concerned. But it has, and that's an interesting point that I will return to. He says, but it has happened a few few more times on shorter rides since then. Last weekend at the Nevada City Dirt Classic, and this is a a slightly older question, and we know Kyle. um, Yeah. uh, sorry, Kyle, for throwing this one in late. It just, uh, we couldn't get it in earlier. He says, I felt the twinge of cramping in my calf muscle on about mile 12 of the 15 mile race. And I had to back way off my pace to stop from cramping up. I had plenty of gas in the tank. At least figuratively speaking there, but I couldn't use it because of my calf. I drank a bottle of sports mix, Gooroctane, the hour before the race, and was diligent in finishing two bottles during the race, as well as eating high-sodium shot blocks. It seems like I'm mostly, I'm most likely to get cramps on a steep climb after a rowdy downhill. Do you know of anything I could try to eliminate leg cramps from happening? Once they, once they come on, what is the quickest way to stop them? First... Okay. Pedal in your descents. Okay. Don't just hmm. totally rest. I actually think that's a really good point. Yeah. Even hmm. if you're just spinning the pedals freely, it's making it, making your muscles create some, you're doing some muscle synapses. Yes. So you're actually using them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I've always noticed that after long rowdy descents and enduro races, getting pedaling going onto like a steep climb again is, it's always a, there's always a little bit of a twinge of like, oh, it feels like I'm going to cramp. 
That's a really good point. Yeah. And it does lead into what causes cramps in most cases. So um, a lack of hydration actually in some studies has shown to cause cramps. In other studies has, has no causation tied to cramps. Yeah. Uh, and, and Kyle, what you are drinking there and what you're taking in, you don't have nutrition problems for that day. Yeah. Uh, you were fine. Yeah. So I drank substantially less and I had no cramps. Yeah. So, but Kyle is probably going through menopause at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I only say that cause he's a friend. Yeah. So, uh, something to, to keep in mind with this is in most cases, the one thing that we can usually tie cramps to is the fact that you are doing work that your muscles are, are not. Uh, adequately used to, uh, you are putting them under duress uh, to such a degree that they it, they it is something that you they would, I guess, categorize as being abnormal. Okay, okay? so <laughs> pickle juice, hot sauce, all of these things, uh, they anecdotally solve cramps. And the interesting thing about it is that in many cases it will work. And this is where cramping is is cramping is complicated and we actually don't know what causes it and if you want to forward us studies about what causes it and you see a study that causes it sure go ahead we'll have other studies to show you that that refute that very claim of course cramping is is up in the air still yeah uh even though that seems crazy like we should be able to figure it out um a couple things <clears throat> people don't know if it's uh, something that that happens actually a neurological issue that you have basically, or basically that's, or not issue that makes it sound like it's a disorder, but basically that that will be causing a problem that the muscle fibers are either you're overutilizing certain muscle fibers, underutilizing others. And then as a result, those overutilized muscle fibers go into a state where they are locked, uh, yeah. where they are contracted. And when you talked about descending and let's just assume that you're not pedaling the whole time, even though the descent that you're talking about, there was still some pedaling in it, but okay. you did do a lot of coasting. In that situation, your muscles are either, you know, extremely tight or extremely loose. And usually your quads in that situation, if you're standing and not squatting, they're going to be loose, right? Not under tension. Your hamstrings and your posterior chain is going to be under a lot of tension. Yeah. So you have your muscles in a constant state for a while, then they've been pedaling the whole time. And then you go back into pedaling them hard. When you're descending, it's not necessarily letting your leg muscles rest. Uh, it's putting them just under a totally different type of stress. Yeah. And then suddenly you have to put them under a different type of stress and it's really stressful because yeah. you're climbing. So a lot of people cramp because they are not used to the type of workloads they're putting their body under. And you may do a big race every month, but if you aren't you know, working really hard, doing hard training, and then you go to race day and you go as hard as you can, it's not as much about duration as it is intensity a lot of the time. Yeah. So if you can really just get used to doing more work, train, in other words, in between, that can help. The other thing with this, as far as distracting your mind from cramps, it's interesting that you had cramps on Cramp Hill. And I think that, uh, you know, when I've had cramps, honestly, it's because I've been thinking about them and fearing them. And when I don't have cramps, I usually am not thinking about them at all. And pickle juice, mustard, hot sauce, anything spicy like that, or anything with a strong flavor like that, almost always causes you to go, whoa, get a prune face going on. And then you focus on that and you don't focus on the cramps. And, uh, once again, that, that could very well, you know, it, it, I, the reason that I'm hesitant to go into the actual science behind all of this is because the science is in the end inconclusive. Yeah. So we're just talking about simple perception issues here that could happen with it. But cramping is certainly something that can rear its ugly head, usually at the worst moments. But if that happens, I want you to, or just leading into that, I want you to recognize the fact that as long as you've done the work coming into that race, 
uh, or done hard work coming into that race, you shouldn't have cramps. And if you do have cramps, think away from them, just do not focus on them. And I know that sounds hard to do, but you, you simply can't focus on them. If you yeah. do, I promise you, they will play you after that point. Yeah. So, uh, Dennis says, Hey guys, love the podcast. I listen to every new episode as soon as they come out. Thank you, Dennis. You can subscribe to that mtbpodcast.com. And it has like the buttons to subscribe on everything. It's pretty easy. Yes. Yes. He says, uh, thank you for giving me something to listen to on night shifts. I have been riding a Norco range carbon for about a season and a half. And I consider it so capable that I recently sold my DH bike, uh, which the, the range is their enduro bike. Uh, am I correct on that? I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, he says, I live in the Kootenays, which I hope that's how you say it. And I believe I'm going to be riding up in your neck of the woods, by the way, Dennis, uh, this year when I come up for single track six. I'm excited. looks like good riding. Oh yeah. Uh, he says, uh, which means I live in the Kootenays, which means I ride a lot of varied terrain from buff trails to steep DH laps. My question is concerning rear shocks with recent advances in shock technology. I'm considering going back to a coil for its added DH benefits, but worry about losing performance in other places. The two shocks that I'm looking at are the Fox float X two and the DHX two. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, very, every opinion is appreciated. And he says, P.S. I'm six foot one, about 210 pounds, and consider myself more of a DH guy rather than a cross country guy. Keep doing what you're doing. Really like listening. Cheers, Dennis. Um, my opinion, Dennis, is if you're a DH guy and you like the style of a coil with that linear spring rate, just put a DHX2 with the climb switch on it mm. or the climb lever. Um, you can do the float X2. Mm-hmm. with the climb lever as well. The one thing I will tell you is it's not like any of your float X's where you have, you know, the three positions and even fully locked out has a little give to it. Mm-hmm. When you lock the climb lever, your bike is a hard tail now. Yes. On my Yeti 5.5, I never locked it out unless I was on literally on pavement going right. up like a really steep road yep. because it was just too stiff. It was too much. So I just climbed that bike in open mode all yeah. the time and it was totally fine. Now, granted with the rocker linkage that the, that the range has, it's going to be a little bit more squishy in, um, in when you're climbing. So you're going to get a lot of pedal bob. So you're probably going to want to lock it, but definitely do the lock, whichever way you go, do the climb lever. Um, but either one will be great. I don't think, uh, there's any reason not to do the DHX two because then you can really tailor the, you can tailor it however you want being a DH guy. If you're already used to that, that's what I do. And just looking at, he's a bigger guy too. And the one thing with an air shock is that, and also in the Kootenays, it's a lot of big descents, rough terrain. Yeah. Uh, that's another big benefit of the coil is the fact that you're going to get less fade. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's, yeah, I would say that's a good, good, good advice, Stephen. You're, you're pretty good at that Thanks, stuff. Guy. Apollo dog. He <clears throat> says, hi there. First off, thank you for an informative and enjoyable podcast. I've given you a well-deserved five stars. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. The, they can do that at iTunes or on iTunes. They can go on there. Uh, in you, as long as you have an iTunes or Apple ID, whatever else you need to access iTunes, you can leave a review please leave a five-star review. If you don't feel like we deserve a five-star review, let us know what we can change. And then uh, hopefully we can make it so that it is five-star worthy for you. So yes. we're always looking to be better. He says, uh, first off, thank you for an informative, or f- forgive me, I already read that. He says, you make my one and a half hour commute go by that much quicker. Okay, onto my long-winded question. Although you discussed low and high-speed compression in episode 16, I have to say, unfortunately, that I still have some confusion. I have a RockShox Pike 160 RCT3 on my 2016 Medium Nomad CC. Uh, Monarch plus is the shock that he has on the rear. 
about 180 pounds and have it set up with two tokens. So uh, let's cover this really quick. Yes. So he has a RockShox Pike fork and he's talking about tokens. Yes. Uh, what are tokens, Stephen? The, the bottomless tokens are air volume spacers. It's basically changing the volume of your air spring to create a different spring curve. And ironically, they it's called a spacer, but it actually eliminates space. Yes. Yeah. It's an air spacer. It does not encourage you to spacer. explore the space. No. As Christopher Walken did in the no in the cowbell skit. It in encourages SNL. you to limit the space. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. So uh, tokens are something that people put in to get a more progressive feel out of their suspension. Yes. And the, and the, the fork. The one thing that uh, uh, the caveat, or I guess um, I'm not going to say the caveat, but the um, kind of the the bonus going into you know reducing the volume and changing the spring curve um, is you get a plusher initial breakthrough when you start mm -hmm. adding those, and then you also have better bottom out resistance at the end because yes. the spring progresses, the rate progresses because of less volume. And I know some people might be thinking, well, what sounds bad <clears throat> about that? And it's true, that does sound great, but some forks already have a lot of initial plushness. Yeah and they have bottom out resistance, uh, or just let's just cover the initial plushness part. If you had any more plushness on there, then it might be unstable. A lot and, of brake dive or, yes. you know, the, there can be some adverse effects to too much plushness. Yes. Uh, like so, just think red crushed velvet. <laughs> it's just too much. Just that too red, much, man. Red crushed velvet. But just purple's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, I was originally running with no tokens when I first got the bike and was having some problems with it diving more than I like on areas that had large rock drops and large boulder like rock gardens. Also, I would put the rebound to fastest, but it didn't seem like like it helped. Hmm. He says, I started messing with the tokens and PSI went all the way to three tokens and finally settled on my current two tokens with a reasonably quick rebound about five clicks or so from full fast. This seems to be good for now. The pike doesn't have any high speed compression adjustment like the Fox fork you were talking about. So I just run it in full open, but it does have low speed compression. And this is where I am a little confused. First off, the low-speed compression knob has a plus sign on one end and an arrow pointing to the right on the other end. If I turn it to the right following the arrow, am I adding more low-speed compression or less? Yes, you're adding more <laughs> yes. low-speed compression. Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I had already formulated my answer yeah. before you got done asking the <laughs> so, question. Sorry. Yes. Um, so it's actually the way that it works is the plus and then the spinning to the right. That means you're going to add rebound damping by spinning it clockwise. Or, yes. You're gonna, yes. Did I say rebound? Yes. Sorry. Yes. I meant compression damping. Yes. Um, so, and that's uh, low speed compression is what's going to fix your brake diving and all that. That is, you know, your rebound has nothing to do with it. If your shaft speed, if you're, if you're moving your fork into the travel, your rebound is doing nothing for you at that moment. Rebound is handling <clears throat> things that go the other way. It's when it comes when you unload the fork, how fast it comes back. Yes. So your rebound has nothing to do with brake dive. Yes. All of that has to do with your low speed compression. And I usually pump my low speed compression up a little bit. So you're going to be clicking your, your RCT3, RCT3 pike. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's a little early. It's and that's English. Soup. Words yeah. are hard. Yes. Um, that's going to basically give you that bottom out resistance or the brake dive resistance by adding more low speed compression. If you see a plus sign on a compression or rebound dial, that means you're adding damping. Which means you are, yeah, adding damping 
we've gone over this a lot. Adding damping basically adds resistance to it moving the 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 air the air spring shaft or the I'm sorry the the damper shaft, whichever way it is. Compression you're making it harder for the fork to compress to move down to move down. That's compression rebound. If you add rebound damping, you're making it harder and slower to come back out of its travel after you unload the fork. Yes, so. perfect. So compression is downward. Rebound is upward. Unless you're upside down on your bike and then it's all backwards. <laughs> then you've got problems. Yeah, then you've got other problems. Yeah. Um, so he says, uh, also, it's very hard to feel that difference. And he's talking about the difference when he changes that. Let's assume that I want to go smoother on the washboard, on the small washboard bumps. Do I turn it more to the right? And does that mean I add, I added more or less low speed compression? I can handle this one. If, Go he's, got, if he's got washboard bumps and he feels like it's too stiff and he's bouncing around a lot on that, okay. he would want to decrease his low speed compression. Well, actually, no, actually, because high, that's high speed, high compression, speed compression. And he me. doesn't yes. have high speed compression damping. So that's the, that's the that's the ca that's the tricky situation here. Yeah. So in. that's where that initial plushness in using the bottomless tokens will help. That yes. he's already settled on is it two or three? He's already got the plushness there. So the only thing he's going to be able to adjust is actually rebound. Mm -hmm. And what he's going to want to do is he's going to want to probably add like one extra click or two extra clicks of of rebound damping mm -hmm. to slow it down because he might. The only thing he can tr can control is the buck back every single time he unloads off of one of the washboard bumps. Yes. Now but that the, might not help him. Might not. Yeah. And here's the tricky thing. If you add too much rebound damping, uh, and so let's say you're in the situation of a lot of little bumps and you feel like... Uh, you don't you feel like it's too harsh or anything like that, and you don't have um, high speed compression to change that around, right? So you've got a pike, uh, you've messed around with tokens, and you're in this situation. If you add too much rebound damping, you could get into a situation where your fork is packing down. Yeah. So basically, it doesn't have you've added enough rebound damping that it's returning slowly or slow enough so that it isn't returning to uh, or so that every time every sequential bump that you hit the next one you are dealing with less travel and less travel yeah. and less travel it's so not, it, it doesn't become, have enough time to return yep so it'll become even more harsh that said if you don't have enough rebound damping your fork will just be slamming back uh, every time and that can feel pretty harsh too exactly so, so really the sweet spot the only real fix for that is a Fox 36 RC2. But obviously that's <laughs> yeah. not really a fix. Like, no. <laughs> a, in real world, like you don't, you just don't have a pike that has high speed compression. Yeah. At some point, uh, well, uh, does the new one have high speed and low speed? I actually don't remember. I haven't even really Shoot, looked at the specs of that. Remember. And we has no internets. So. Yeah, we don't. Well, if it does, if if it doesn't, Rock Shocks, little tip, that yeah. would be a handy thing to have. Yeah. So... They can, we should be a consultant for them, a consultancy. We should. Yeah. We could teach them how to make their brakes better. <laughs> hey, yo, that's sensitive <laughs> points there. Uh, he says, um, <clears throat> what about rock gardens? The same, well, with rock gardens, you're going to be dealing with a lot of high speed compression issues, quick, yeah. fast hits. Yep. Um, if there are any G outs in that situation where it's like really like a hard hit in the middle of a rock garden, that's where you might be talking about some low speed compression support, but yep. Once again, high speed, think of your fork moving through the travel quickly. Low speed, think of it moving through a little slow or slower. Yeah. So uh, he says, so anyways, hopefully that, that gave him enough, enough. I think it gave him direction. enough. There's probably going to be some more follow-up, but sure. you know, feel free to email us again. Yep. Robert, how important is standover height on the bike? I'm 5'4", and on a small Yeti 2017 SB6, um, 
I forgot my inseam, but I can't stand over my bike at all. I don't feel the bike is too big for me. The extra small size standover height is only three millimeters lower, which is nothing. That's true. That's pretty much nothing. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm screwed regardless because I'm not going to sell this SB6. <laughs> well, then it's not that important, I yeah. guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he brings up a good question, though. How important is standover height? I mean, for safety purposes, you know, um, do you want to crush Austerity's sake. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Do you want to have children later? Yeah, um, yeah. How aggressive do you ride? Yeah. I mean, it's clearly important, but if it's if you figured out a way to get around it and the bike fits you otherwise, then I don't think yeah. there's really a problem. You know, something that I, I know a lot of old school people used to like fit bikes by standover height. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a good general go-to to start with. Kind of. Kind of. Like you just look, oh, okay. Well, so on mountain bikes, no. Road bikes really. Yeah, where exactly. Seen, but yeah. Because you have a, so on mountain bikes, just every top tube is a different design. Yeah. Sloping, some of them, like a giant, it feels like you could probably fit like a whole school bus through the through the front triangle. Yeah. Uh, like, especially on their Anthem. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, but then there's a bike like a Yeti that doesn't even have enough room for a bottle cage, right? Exactly. So it's always going to be different there. Uh, on the road side of things, you have something like a giant TCR, for example. That's a road, I know, roady things, I apologize. But the giant TCR has a sloping top tube and it slopes down quite a lot. So that would not be a good way to fit things. And then you have something like a Cannondale that just, they love the classic lines and yeah. they're doing their best to expose less than one inch of seat post in every situation with such a high, <laughs> with such a straight and high top tube like that. So, okay. uh, so basically you have, it's, it's not a good measurement for, oh yes, you fit that bike. It really isn't really for little kids. Yeah. yeah. For little kids, that's important. Yeah. But uh, reach is much a much better way to fit a bike. Yeah, so as long as you figured out a way to not crush vital bits in case of, you know, any sort of emergency situation, don't worry about it. Posterity. Yeah. It's important. Oh, along those lines. Sorry, crushing vital bits on a bicycle. Okay. I know this doesn't sound pleasant. This is very but, weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Neil, the one that was on our podcast, we'll just call him Neil now. Uh, because we can't call him Foulmouth Neil, right? <laughs> or yes. we're not supposed to call him yes, that? Or yes, he doesn't, yeah. I don't know, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but Neil, awesome Neil, our good friend, he actually, I think he talked about this. I don't know if we included this on that episode, but he actually shattered a saddle and things happened down there. It was really bad. Oh yeah, that's right. Yes. Stitches um, were involved. Oh yeah. Really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I saw a guy, uh, and, and forgive me, I'm so sorry. I can't remember your name right now. We met, we talked, um, awesome guy, rides a Yeti, therefore an awesome dude. No, just joking with that. Uh, but he is a really cool guy. Yeah. He was in my race and he went off the drop, not being clipped in in one foot. And he doesn't have a dropper. Okay. So he basically had to find another anchor point. So he used his sit bones and his saddle and he had a specialized power saddle with carbon rails and that thing snapped when okay. he landed and it tore his bib shorts. He is okay there, but it was pretty darn scary to see. And when it snapped his saddle, the within the clamp, he had an East end seat clamp, I think okay. within the clamp the saddle rails were still there, uh, like chunks of them. But that's it. And sharp splinters were poking out either end, but that was it. And then he was holding on to the rest of the saddle. So oh, pretty scary stuff. Yeah. And something that I saw, which scared me, and uh, I'm I'm honestly a proponent of carbon fiber in almost every situation. Yeah. And I even am in seat rails. I mm -hmm. think it's a good thing to have. But in this case, and I'm not saying this to disparage specialized, but this scared me. And I feel like I should just, you know, put this out there. The carbon, when it was shattered, you 
didn't so usually when there's like a sh- shattered carbon you can see it almost as like kind of like uh it looks like fabric that's 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 bound together and it's kind of like flexed or kind of like torn looking yeah in this case it was splintered looking. okay it almost looked like the resin hadn't fully saturated the fibers of the carbon fiber in that area yeah. because it was like dry, loose fibers where it broke. It's yeah. very weird. And that's, so the thing is like on like pre-preg carbon, yes. when you autoclave it, which mm-hmm. is basically the the process of heating and curing the resin. Yeah, and let's, um, let's cover pre-preg <clears throat> carbon. Basically you can get carbon fiber and it's just the fibers themselves. It's like hair yeah. uh, that's woven together. Yes. Or if it's unidirectional, it's just in a, in a it's specific just, direction. And that's usually what the seat rails are. Yep. Is they'll just be chunks of almost like hair. Yes. And pre-preg means that it has little tiny micro bits of the resin pre-impregnated into that matrix that you, as you get it and it comes in a big roll. You said matrix. Yeah. Um, so matrix means that the, the matrix is actually the whole, um, I guess the homogenous group of the, all of the carbon fibers themselves, the resin, everything that's involved in that is called your matrix. We're living within it right now. Neo is on the outside. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) But yeah, so you get pre-preg carbon comes in sheets where it's actually kind of laminated on either side because it has wet resin within it. Yes. So you don't need to actually put the carbon in place and then impregnate that with resin. Yeah. It's already pre-preg. That's why they call it that. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's usually a pre-pregged, like just a a spool of it, Mm -hmm. not a sheet of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the problem is the heat doesn't properly get into a seven by nine millimeter rail sometimes. Yeah. So that, that is an issue that can come up. Yeah. It was pretty scary looking. Like if he, if that had happened and he was, you know, in just slightly different angle or something like that could have been very bad. And that's why on thicker stuff like that, like vacuum infusion is a better method, but you also get a weaker matrix because you're not, you're not uh, putting the the resin in, in a very even fashion. Right. You're going to have ports that basically siphon it in. And then you actually have like an air pump that vacuums the, uh, the air out and replaces that with resin. So, and it ends up being a heavier matrix overall. It's pretty scary. Yeah. So that's, terrible that sucks to hear yes um so uh let's get back into this uh he says i love the new podcast and hope it continues to grow for you guys good coverage of topics and hopefully plenty of training and nutrition info coming up uh specific to different types of mountain bike disciplines and this is from dan forgive me and he says hi lads so i assume he's from the uk of some sort or perhaps he brexited i don't know anyways I would love to hear from Jared Graves or Sam Hill, Sam Hill on here about their training and prep for enduro, especially Jared, who almost won the Oceana XC champs while prepping for the enduro season. My questions are, I like to wear bib nicks under my shorts while riding. Are road nicks best suited uh, to this? T- and what is a good brand for mid to high price point? Um, so first of all, covering the thing on Jared Graves and uh, Sam Hill, Jared Graves is one of the nicest people I've met. Uh, just so kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, not la- not this year at Sea Otter, but the year before, uh, we had like a full on like twenty minute conversation. Just easy talking. Just an easy guy. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like me coming up and being like, "Hi, Jared." It was I was in the specialized truck and we were hanging out, and he would just sought me out to have a conversation. So you not didn't ask him to sign us. your baby? Uh, no, I did not. But you didn't have baby, your baby was back still then, in the yeah. womb at that time, so that would have been very difficult. But yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but just a really cool guy and. The, I, I guarantee you that if Jerry Graves was close to us, we could probably make it happen. And one thing that we try to shy away from is doing interviews where people aren't in person. And I know that people probably think that that's uh, you know not great, but 
man, when you can do interviews in in person with people, you can get so much better quality content out of yeah, them. Absolutely. And when you're not with them, it's just hard. And sure, some people will be very good at it, but others may not. Yeah. So, and it's not necessarily fair to the guest to put them in that situation where they may be just at a disadvantage. Yeah. So, uh, but if we are maybe next year at Sea Otter or something, I'll shoot Jared a message and we'll see what we can do. It'd be fun. Definitely. So uh, his question, road nicks, um, and when he says nicks, he's talking about bib shorts, right? Uh, so are they better or mountain bike ones? Stephen, what do you wear for bib shorts? Or uh, wear, I guess let's cover that. What do you wear for a chamois? Because so, you do wear a chamois. Yes. You're uh, a civilized human. I have. Anybody that doesn't wear a chamois should repent and wear a chamois. Sure. <laughs> and I do wear bibs. Um, I have a few different ones. I have um, Yetis and Duro bibs. Pretty cool. Um, which have a SWAT type, you know, uh, thing let's in the just back call them, them pockets yeah a, yeah it's a pocket imagine <laughs> yeah. that yeah yeah it's a new term and they have pockets on the thighs too yeah so i have a i have a couple pairs of those and i like them they're you know they fit well they're it's a good chamois um i think they're no more than a season they definitely aren't going to be right. um, a multi-year setup which is how your bib shorts should which, be, which is how the they should be you know there's some bibs that are you know some chamois where you're like oh wow it's a season old but it still works really well and then there's others that don't yeah um and then I also have a couple pairs of the new Mavic. Um, I use the Road series mm -hmm. because the chamois on the roadside are always better. Yeah. Um, I think in every brand, pretty much. I agree. And so I use the Cosmic Pro, which is their hundred and fifty nine dollar mm. um, retail bib. My brother, I think, uh, may have those, and I believe he's talked positively yeah. about yeah, those. Like there's too. the Cosmic Ultimate, and then mm -hmm. the next one down is the one that I have. Um, and I always wear those underneath my baggies. Mavic makes really good stuff. They really do. Like I, their their shoes are amazing. Their their bibs are awesome. Um, I still have. I don't really use them anymore, but I still have three and four year old chamois mm -hmm. that I should probably throw away. But <laughs> yeah. they still are in really good shape. Right. So those people who you know don't prescribe to the annual method of replacing them, mm -hmm. they, they're they're good long lasting. But once they start to wear, get rid of them because they turn into the worst chamois. Yeah. Very quickly. I'm going to try to make this <clears throat> one pretty quick. Uh, you shouldn't use just shorts. You should use bibs. Yeah. And the reason for that is, so a couple reasons for that. Number one, uh, wearing bibs, it may feel uncomfortable at first, but it becomes much more comfortable because really you don't does. have a band that is tight around your waist. Yeah. And especially if you're riding for a long time and you're eating things like Jew or uh, <laughs> eating things like goose or, or gels. Did you or, say all eating Jews? <laughs> that's <laughs> going to be bleeped out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that better be bleeped um, out. <laughs> forgive me. It was a combination between goo and gel. <laughs> Uh, cliff bars, you know, anything like that, that food uh, sometimes can be pretty harsh on your stomach and you get bloating Yeah, and it's really uncomfortable when you have a band that's digging into your stomach. Yeah. So, uh, that's one thing. The other thing that I would say is I would look at, um, the reason that you want to have bibs is you want to have something that's more stable on your body, I guess. And bibs do a great job of doing that. They allow you to move just fine, but they keep the chamois stable. Exactly. And that's why you should never buy mountain bike shorts with just a chamois within them and just run those. Because if you run mountain bike shorts that just have a chamois in there, you get the chamois shifts around and that's bad. That causes friction chafing and that causes a lot of discomfort. Exactly. So I personally use Quare's stuff, uh, C-U-O-R-E. It's always hard to understand when I say it, but Quare, they make incredible stuff. And I, disclaimer, I am, I do ride for Quare. Uh, so they give me this stuff for free, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, I work on them with some design stuff and it's they do such good work. They have incredible shorts. And the reason I actually, let's be clear, the reason I use their stuff is because I tried out everything, everything, seriously, mm-hmm. obsessive. I was asking every company to send me fit kits and I needed a custom kit and theirs was the best. And I did not get their stuff for free for quite some time, (laughs) but I paid for it and it is so good. It's the best stuff I've used. And I'm really interested to try Quarry this year too. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Uh, Then on top of that, uh, so a lot of people see a brand like Rafa and they wonder if the stuff is like absolutely amazing because it's so expensive. It is good, uh, but it's, I, in my mind, it's close to as good as quarry but it's still not even as good as quarry okay so it's good but not quite there and specialized has really good um shorts uh their their swap bibs are pretty darn good the one the my, my gripes that i have with specialized is the fact that they are kind of long in the leg and i like bibs to be a little bit shorter in the leg and they're pretty long you like daisy so, duke bibs right not quite that much let's not go that far <laughs> but um but I, I i like them to be a little shorter not too long uh, and that, that, that tends to be a little weird. Also the bib straps tend to be a little tight on me. Like they're, it's a little short in the torso, I guess. Okay. And I don't have a particularly long torso at all. Um, but that's just the way that those ones fit. And I guess the last thing that I would say is you have to try on bib shorts, but please do so with underwear on. Don't be a gross person and try on bib shorts without underwear on. Yeah. Um, when you ride, don't use underwear. Don't yeah, be no. that person. But when you're trying them on, please do that. And really what you're looking for when you try on a bib short is you want it to fall in a good place. And what I mean by that is instead of sitting too far forward or too far back, uh, because a lot of the time you'll be in a situation where you'll sit down on your saddle and the bib short is so far back that actually your sit bones are on the seam of the chamois yeah. and that will be really uncomfortable. Or it'll be in the opposite position where it's you know really far forward and you have this gigantic massive chamois in a very uncomfortable st- spot in the front yeah. and you're getting minimal protection in the back. Fair. So that's what I would say there. Um, let's see. He says, also, if you want to get the most out of base and interval training as a mountain biker, would a modest, modest aluminum road bike be a good investment for base miles and on the trainer rather than using the mountain bike? Yeah. Yeah. If you need it. Yeah. But you're also going to wear tires out on a mountain bike really fast on the road. So yeah. Yeah. If you get rollers, like a plastic rollers, like, um, from elite, uh, they make, uh, and the, the problem with rollers is a lot of the time you can't get enough resistance. Elite has solved that with their quick motion rollers. Okay. You can get plenty of resistance and being plastic, they don't wear down tires fast at all. Uh, That's a good option. And then another option is to get a wheel off trainer that allows for through axles. Those tend to be more expensive. You're talking like a smart trainer there. But the one thing is there's no reason you can't do all of that volume on a mountain bike. Just remember that, right? Uh, you can never look at your training in terms of miles. And I think like a lot of people think, oh, I need to get a mountain bike because I need to do big mile or a road bike. I'm a mountain biker, but I need a road bike because I need to do big miles for my training. No, you're talking about time Yeah. and time spent at specific intensity. That's what really matters, right? Yeah. Whether that's high or low intensity. So you can still do that on a mountain bike. True. So yes, I do think that it's not a bad idea at all to get a road bike like that. And yes, get a cheap one, cheap road one or cheap aluminum one. Totally good. Yeah. Like a good aluminum 105 build is going to be, Oh, you're set. Yeah. You're set forever. Yeah. The one thing that I would just uh, add to that is as just a devil's advocate is maybe you don't need that road bike. So on the other shoulder, yeah, you can just get it in on the mountain bike. Jeremy, Hey guys, love the podcast. Five stars. I've found, uh, extremely useful info in every single episode. Good to hear, man. Yeah. He says, I need 
need some help deciding on a new XC rig. This is, we get to spend people's money again, Stephen. Yay. I've traditionally been a specialized hardtail rider as I've always felt the geometry just fits me. And he says that in air quotes and it helps get a shot and it helps that I get a shop discount. And I've always liked a lively ride that climbs well. Makes sense for the hardtail. Quite lively. Sometimes yeah. a little too lively. Uh, he says, I live in Texas and ride a wide variety of trails. Anything from fast and flowy, rooty trails to rocky and rugged, hilly country terrain. I'm looking at moving to a full suspension this time around and was hoping you could give me the lowdown on the differences in geometry and ride characteristics between a Specialized Camber 29 and a Yeti ASR. Looking at the numbers, everything looks pretty close, but you're the experts. Is it worth forgetting the shop discount to getting or is it worth forgetting the shop discount to get a Yeti for this type of riding? We also have no Yeti dealers around here. Or should I wait for the 2018 Epic FSR as there are rumors there are going to they are going to revamp that bike later this year? Decisions, thanks. And yes, I can't confirm that, but I think that that is happening in terms of a new Epic. So Yeah. So first, the the front triangle on the camber, the new camber, yeah. is the same as the stump jumper. Exactly. Uh, they, I believe, I believe it's, it's still similar. The same. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really darn close. It might be slightly, it might have a slightly slacker head tube angle on the stump jumper, but it's it's really darn close. The difference, I think, is in the rear triangle and yoke and the the linkage assembly. Yeah, the yeah. Yoke. But <clears throat> I could be somewhat wrong on that. And they put a they put a longer travel fork on the front and that effectively slackens it out. Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily built for cross-country racing in mind. That said, the ASR, by some people's standards, or by Yeti, wouldn't say that it was made for cross-country racing specifically. Yeah. Uh, and as you can see, if you go to their website and you see Joey and, and the other guys smashing that thing down Portal and, and all the gnarly trails in, in, in Moab, it's capable of quite a lot. Yes. But I would say that the that the ASR in some ways is more... Well, yeah, it is more of an XC-oriented bike. A little bit more than the camber. Than the camber. Yes. I would say that in your case, it would probably be better, but let's go over the numbers, Steve. Yeah. I'm going to run through some, I'm going to run through a number on the ASR, and you're going to run through the number on the camber, and then we'll talk about what that means in terms of riding. Fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, first thing, uh, head tube angle, and let's do size large. Yep. Okay. Head tube angle, size large, 69.1 degrees. And this is 68 and a half. So slightly slacker head tube angle mm -hmm. on the, the camber. So half degree yes. about. Uh, and that varies per size, it varies per size for you, I assume, as I well. I think. Yeah. Uh, now it, let's look at the effective seat tube angle on this is 72.8. And this is 75, so slightly steeper. Mm. So that's going to bring your reach once you're, when you're sitting in your, in your saddle, that's going to bring your reach shorter. Let's talk about the reach. This one's 443. That's 443 millimeters. Yeah. And we're talking on reach. We're talking about from the bottom bracket, correct? Yes. Uh, forward to uh, where the headset or where the, the head tube is. Yeah. So the reach measurement on this is actually a little bit bigger. It's 445 millimeters. Okay. But with that steeper head tube angle, it's going to bring the saddle forward. Steeper seat tube angle. Or seat tube angle, sorry. Yeah. It's going to actually bring the saddle forward slightly. So when you're seated, it brings your overall front center in a little bit smaller. So what this means is that the camber will have a slightly longer top tube length in in there, but it, since it has that steeper seat tube angle, it's going to get close to around the same cockpit feel. Right? Yeah, so what on the Yeti, what is that front center measurement? Um, let's see. Uh, so we're talking on the front center, 711. Yeah, so this is 726 actually, which is... 
711 Iron- millimeters. Yeah, yeah, and so this is 726. Which so. makes sense that it would be a little longer in the front. Yes. Uh, front center. Yeah. And then it's got that steeper seat tube angle to make sure that you're not too far off the so back. So it narrows that up a little bit more, yeah. Yep. All of this is pointing to a more trail enduro-oriented ride to me for the camber. Well, I would say I would say trail, not enduro. Yeah, Nowhere trail. near enduro, That's but true. it's definitely yeah. a trail bike. Yeah, so more in that direction yes. than in the XC direction. Yes. Right? Um, let's see, uh, any other important ones to, what about stack? Let's see, let's compare the stack. Cause that is one important thing for cross country racing. Yeah. So stack on this is 627 millimeters on the, on the camber. And this is 614. Yeah. So large. stack height is taller. Yes. So your, your head tube is a taller setup than, which yes. that can be changed. I mean, there's things that you can do to change it, but right. you know, and, and that's <clears throat> talking size large. Yes. Clearly that changes. And especially in the ASR and also the, the camber, I've seen this too, but in the ASR, when you go from large to medium, that medium head tube gets super short. So the stack on the medium ASR is 595 all the way down there. So pretty darn small and, uh, or pretty darn short. And I've been able to get my stack height lower on that bike than I did on my old specialized, uh, stump jumper hardtail. Yeah. And so, go, yeah, going down to the medium on this, the camber takes that, um, stack height and drops it from 627 down to 609 millimeters. So yep. it's still, you know, a big jump, but not still. And that, that really is indicative that this is a slightly more trail bike, whereas the ASR is going to be slightly more of an XC bike. Yep. That said, in terms of manners and how the bikes behave, I can speak personally to this, having ridden an old camber, a new camber, and also loving the ASR that I have. And I'll be as perfectly, please trust that this is unbiased, as unbiased as you could possibly assume it would be for me. Uh, The ASR climbs better. It feels lighter, feels more lively when you're climbing. It also feels more lively when you're descending. Uh, it doesn't feel as dead, I guess. When you push into the bike, it gives it back rather than just soaking it up. Uh, the one thing about the ASR is if you're riding in super gnarly terrain, and when I say super gnarly terrain, I'm talking like, you know, successive two foot drops with gnarly lines that you have to hit in between rocks in huge rock gardens. We're talking the gnarliest parts in Moab type of stuff, right? Okay. If you're riding that, you kind of hope those sections don't last long. Because yeah. <laughs> it get, it gets pretty scary. Right? Okay, you have to have a lot of talent to be able to ride that out. If you're ta- and I'm once again, I'm talking riding like gnarly sections of portal where almost everybody walks. And but this, you know, this bike can make it. It really can. You just uh, you just have to really be ready for it. On cross country courses, the ASR feels like it is so so capable of everything you throw at it, but it doesn't do so feeling bloated when you're climbing. Okay, that's the key. So I think that with the camber, if you're riding gnarlier terrain and less concerned about, you know, the race aspects of cross country and you're more just wanting to do the loops and have fun, uh, sure, it can be a good bike, but it's probably not best. If you're a cross country racer, I would definitely point you toward the ASR and the camber is definitely more onto the trail side. Yeah. And being used to hardtails and how lively they are, I think he's going to like the ASR better. Yes. But, and here we are, you know, I know I'm, big shock, right? No, yeah. no, no. I'm, I'm actually going to say that, you know, he should also maybe try and demo a scalpel. 
Yeah. The new XXC scalpel. Very good point. Slacked out head tube angle. It's going to be very much like the the ASR. Yes. Maybe even a tiny bit more cross country than the ASR. Just slightly more cross country. And I can't remember the exact specs on it, but it is slightly steeper and and not quite as as ready to, it doesn't like to party as much. I think it's a 69, 69 and a half. So it's almost the same head tube angle. Yeah. Um, But it's going to be a little bit more of an XC bike and you're going to have to like lefty forks too. So yeah, when it's at the party, it's kind of standing by the punch bowl thinking of engaging and it does occasionally yeah but it's not going on uh, you know it's not going at it the whole time yeah it's like when when the hot girl across the room waves at her friend yes that's behind you yes you the the scalpel would wave (laughs) exactly that's engaging (laughs) yes all right phil he says hey guys your instagram is quite nice and really enjoy the podcast especially steven's voice Ayo. Apparently I've got that Wolverine voice. I think somebody just swiped right on you. I think he did. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. <He> says, <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking that. <laughs> he says, I discovered the podcast the day before my first cross-country marathon race this season two weeks ago. Slightly changed my nutrition on race day according to episode 14. Yikes. Hopefully that didn't screw you up. It's always tricky with changing things on race day, right? It's always a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we like That's to party, really matters. So. <laughs> yeah, okay. He says, I ate pretty calorie dense instead of mainly carbs in the morning, and it worked out pretty well, so I'll stick to it for the next marathon races. There you go. Hey-o. It worked. stuff. Awesome. Helping people have more fun on the bike. That's good. Because having dysentery or feeling like you have dysentery on the bike is not fun. So that's kind of what dysentery is fun at all anyway. No, no, that's true. Mm. He says, anyways, I have a question, Stephen. I have a question. Stephen, talking about hand washing his clothes, (laughs) got Got me me excited. excited. But that's that's you. That's a little interesting. Yeah, but you. Yeah, what are you using to wash it, he asks. That was you, though. I wasn't hand-washing. That's you that hand-washes all your quarry kits. Yes, I do. Um, and the reason I do that is because it makes them last longer. It really does. Yeah. Uh, so I don't use any sports-specific type of detergent. I I feel like that is just a whole crock of baloney, if you will, there. Uh, there's no reason that just because you put sportsing on a label does not mean that it's going to wash my clothes better or be kinder to them. a pot full of like slices of bologna right yeah, now. Yeah. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think that sports wash fabric, you know, or, or detergent is going to be any more friendly than just getting uh, a, a gentle detergent. And you can go to, if you go to the detergent aisle, which I mean, let's be real. Who doesn't like going to the detergent aisle? It's like the best smelling place in the world. Right? So go to that detergent aisle and sorry, I'm probably, people think I'm weird. I don't just sit there and smell things, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a glue sniffer kid, Okay, but, uh, go there and look, and you can find detergent that's like, says it's made for like, um, uh, it'll be like gentle or something like a lot of it is for like kids clothes, that type of a thing. Right. Okay. So I just use that detergent and I wash my clothes that way. And so what I do is I fill up the tub and, uh, like a bathtub, not with a lot of water, just a bit, uh, because we have to save whales and things. So yeah. I fill up a bit, especially the whales in Nevada. <laughs> yeah. They're everywhere. They're all dead, <laughs> <laughs> but I fill up, uh, I, I fill it up with some water and then I let my kits soak for about 15 minutes. Right. I move them around with my hands, make sure the, the chamois get fully agitated. Um, yes. I agitate them. There you go. <laughs> Basically I'm going to describe the process of a washing machine, <laughs> <laughs> but with your arm. <laughs> yes. And then I, after that, I take the detergent and I, <clears throat> put that detergent in with that water. I move the, I once again, agitate the the clothing with my hand. And then I make sure that I take like the chamois, for example, and I wring out the chamois. When I wring out, I do not twist my fabric. I just grab it and I bunch it together. And then I, I let it go. Cause if you start twisting your fabric, you're going to wear out the, the Lycra or whatever other fabric you have in it. Okay. So I just 
I just grab it and, and squish the chamois to make sure that all the water goes out. So then it fills up with soap and I just do that a bunch of times. And that way I can get it, uh, at least getting cleaned. Uh, I use a washcloth on the chamois first though, because you can, one can never be too careful. So I use a washcloth instead of touching it with my hands. I'm a little weird with that. Clean that off. And then I make sure everything gets fully saturated with soap by just letting it sit for like another 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I usually at this point, by the way, I, just, I don't just like wait and watch it. This is how I take care of this. Then I wash the bike or I mow the lawn or I do those type of things. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I drain it out. And then I use like the shower head and I actually shower head and, and, and spray water into the kit very closely and flood the chamois, especially so you can get the soap out of that. And then I let it sit in some water for like another 15 minutes. And then after that, drain it and hang hang dry with the fan. You don't run outside and spin it really fast around. <laughs> yeah, spin really quick. Yeah, no, that's, that's how I do it. And sure. It sounds like a process, but it really isn't. If you are the type of person that has household chores, which I think hopefully everyone has household chores. So yeah. it's just like, it's really quick. You can fit it in and in, in a Saturday or a weekend or whatever else you need. So it makes my kits look like they're brand new a year later. So if anybody wants to argue that it's silly to do that, just which look is at funny because well, which is funny also because you're saying that your kits look like brand new after a year, yet you're gonna throw them away when your new ones arrive. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so, how we do it. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, that's how it goes. <clears throat> okay. If anybody does want my kits, let me know because uh, I'll probably be selling them on eBay. But signed, of course. Yes, and they are immaculate as always. So yes. Um, and the only reason I'm getting rid of them is because I'm getting new stuff. It has a new new look, Stephen. It's very important. The and look. that was and that was a joke, by the way, that yes. you would be signing them. It's yes, like celebrities or something. Yeah, yeah. Nobody that cares one, who we are. <laughs> nobody cares. Well, That's Philip does. True. <laughs> That's true. You and Phil, man. I need to just do an audio tape or like a CD and yes. just like of me just saying random things and then sign it. Yeah, send it to Phil. Yeah, that'd be kind of funny. You you two just swiping right the whole time. <laughs> All right, Brian. He says just found your podcast through a Clint Gibbs video. I think on episode two now and I. And and after listening to your dropper post section, you you wanted just a simple mechanical design. Have you looked at the E13 post? Yes. And the reason that I say this is because it's just about to become available from what I understand from the E13 guys. Yeah. So it sounds like in June around there, uh, end of May, early June is when it should become available. And I'm actually really excited about this one because mm -hmm. that's what we're going to put on my wife's bike. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I really can't <clears throat> wait. So once again... Because we made such a big stink about this, it behooves us to mention it once more. Yes. Ryan, hey guys, love the podcast. Keep it up. Last episode, while talking about issues with the dyad shock, Stephen briefly spoke about Fox rear shock having similar problems if it is bottomed out. And, uh, and his question is, is there an easy fix for it? Could you please explain a little bit more about this problem and the fix? So I think that we were talking about like you might get like it might get stuck down or something. Yeah. So right? with the diet, it's a little bit different. What happens is when you when you stretch the shock all the way out, which is technically like a push shock would be compressing it. But because the remember the, backwards. The diet was backwards. Now they have the Gemini sh shock and it's very different. Yeah. But it used to be a pull shock instead of a squish. Yeah. Shock. So when you would bottom your suspension out, what it would do is air from the negative chamber, mm -hmm. which which on the dyad, you filled up your positive air chamber and your negative air chamber separately. They were completely isolated from each other. Right. And and they basically were separated by your oil system. Yes. And so uh, in the negative side, what happens is when you bottom the shock out, there's such there you would basically push air into the oil circuits. Mm, and okay. that was bad. You didn't want that to happen. So on the Fox, 
and even your monarchs and you know all of your rock shock air shocks they have what they call self equalizing negative chambers and what that means is as you put air into the positive chamber your one Schrader valve you would compress it a bunch of times the shock as you fill up you know go 50 psi and then you compress the shock a bunch of times and what that does is it fills up the negative chamber as you compress it down there's a little orifice that opens hmm. and it says okay if there's this much pressure in the positive chamber we're going to let this much into the negative chamber when you compress the shock down and that's all shock brands that's everybody except for the dyad that's what happens so uh, what happens is when you violently bottom out like a fox rear shock a push shock what you can do is you can get uh, you can bottom it out and get way too much air in the negative chamber and then your shock will sit compressed all the time so what you have to do not ideal yeah it's not ideal at all so what you do, then you have then you have like the most slacked out hardtail you could ever have <laughs> pretty much and bottom bracket just on the ground on the ground yeah. yeah it's like what do they call that what's the thing that all the socal dudes are doing where they like lift the front of their truck like six inches and take leaf springs uh, out of the rear but, the reverse uh, lift kit it's it's yeah bro lean uh, it's something like yeah, that. They yeah, they call it broling. Yeah, broling. Yeah, okay. yeah, because it's basically they're trying to make their themselves a cute little trophy. They're truck. just they're trying to make their uh, the metal militia sticker look really heavy on the back of their car <laughs> or their truck. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, so yeah, sorry, bros. guys. Um, <laughs> intense bros. Yeah, intense bros. Yeah. So um, what you do with that is remove the rear shock from the bike, mm -hmm. put the end with your like your CTD lever, your lockout lever, whichever one you have, put that in a vise lightly yep. with like an aluminum soft jaw. Yes. The other end, you're going to put a shop rag through the eyelet of the shock. Mm -hmm. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take the whole air can assembly and grip it with either some sort of rubber or, you know, uh, like even just a shop Like an oil filter towel. wrench or something? An, a soft oil filter wrench would work great, not a metal one. Not a metal. Um, but usually you don't need that. You should be able to just grab something a little bit grippy and you can turn it off. Okay. And so what you do is you unthread that, but hold on to it. Oh boy. Because when there's a lot of air in the negative chamber, after you've released all of the air from the positive side, the thing is going to want to explode off the end of the of your basically shaft, and that's why you put the rag through the eyelet. Uh, There's a lot of YouTube videos from, how to do it and to stop it from from going shooting forward. off and killing people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so death what, by air sleep. <laughs> seriously. So what you do is you just unthread it, and then you just pull it down the air shaft. And then it'll just go bang and it pops and then that's it. And cool. then you can just spin, put it right back on, spin it on, tighten it, put air back in it and it's fine. Awesome. Do that a few times and you're going to definitely need new um, new seals internally. But, you know, one time of that happening, not a big deal. There's tons of videos on YouTube of how to take the air can off. Yep. Um, so it's not a huge deal at all. There we go. That's yeah. how to fix it. Yep. Steven, let's close things out with our tips. You don't care they'd count on your tips to live? Uh, Steven, I'm going to start out, or actually let's start out with yours. Okay. So, um, I'm kind of a weird person when it comes to gloves. Okay. Like there's a hmm. lot of things I'm persnickety about. Huh. Um, gloves, I, I, I really am. This is yeah. interesting. Yeah. So I'm very persnickety about gloves and I don't like typical gloves. I don't like cheap gloves. I don't like gloves that are seam stitched and have like excessive material on the inside where you can feel it on your hands. You mean you don't like the gel pads? No, God, no, 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 no. With no, your no, ergon shaped grips? No, no. <laughs> but I do like my little bull bar horn things on the end yeah. of my XC Steam bike. Steam just blew out of one ear. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the guys at Tasco MTB, yeah. it's T A S C O, 
yeah. and then MTB. Good, good humans. They're good humans. Um, they actually do ride Yetis, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> just letting you guys know if you want to yeah. drink. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they just released their new Enduro full-fingered gloves. Yeah. And we tried them on at um, Sea Otter, and I ended up buying a pair of them and a pair of their socks. Yeah. And the gloves are really awesome. They're super light, good dexterity inside the glove. No seams that are, you know, especially your breaking fingers, that's where you notice most of it mm -hmm. is on the, I guess it would be the inside of your index finger and yes. your middle finger. And on the inside of your thumb, so opposite sides. I just do not ever, with those gloves, I felt super comfortable in them. Great dexterity. Um, it looks like they're going to hold up the spots that I usually have issues with stitching breaking. It doesn't look like it's going to have, that I'm going to have an issue with those. So I'm really excited to try them out, but I haven't yet. Gotcha. Um, but I do, you know, I'm able to actually ride my mountain bike now. Hey and those of you who follow me on Instagram saw that I rode my cross bike down in San Diego this weekend Yes, on my trip. But um, I've got the Jekyll back. I've got it all set up and ready to go. Um, so I'm actually going to start riding this week. So I'll report Attaboy. back on how I like uh, those uh, gloves. Awesome. Yeah. My pick is the, or my tip is the Level Ultimates, the brakes that I was excited to get. Um, and then it actually ended up, I was planning on getting them and then I accidentally suggested these were something that somebody that weighs 185 pounds get at our office. Cause I forgot that he actually weighs that much Yeah, and those are not good breaks for somebody that weighs that much. So I ended up actually giving him my guide RSCs mm -hmm. and going with the level ultimates. And I was actually really sad about that. Once I saw the level ultimates, because I realized that they didn't have contact padages. Yeah, there's no RSC and ultimate. Yes. Yeah. There's no way to adjust that how the, or when the pads make contact. And I like a very short lever throw, Yeah, meaning that I don't like my lever to come close to my grip. I like it almost instantly to give me braking and I like my finger to stay out there. So then I can have plenty of leverage if I need to pull harder. Well, with a guide break, you need more oh, leverage boy. to make yeah, it work. Here it comes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but um, it doesn't click when you let the lever go. Yeah. That's like really a Shimano. Important. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're you welcome. said it. Yep. Uh, so, but I am actually impressed with them, but mm -hmm. there are some quirks. Number one, they make the lever very long. Clever, Sram. <laughs> so basically you go from two pistons in each caliper. They're going down to one uh -huh. in each caliper. So you're getting down to the situation where you have less power. That's just simply how it works, right? Of course. So since you have less power, they cleverly make the lever much longer. Okay. And for anybody that's a physics major in here, or not even a physics major, if you have thought of physics once in your life, you uh -huh. understand that that means greater leverage if you have a longer lever, right? So longer uh -huh. lever means that you can get more power from the hand with less force at your hand down into the caliper. Okay. So that actually does make them feel just as powerful almost as my guide RSCs. Now keep in mind, I weigh 150 pounds. Mm -hmm. If you weigh more, it will not feel as powerful. Uh, that said, what's going to happen is that you're going to, that's going to shift any controls that you have on a matchmaker. It's going to shift them internally on your bars. So like toward the stem away from your, the, the outsides of the bars. Yeah. So I had to adjust things a bit and move things around. Um, but I am actually really impressed with them. The other thing that you need, and they weigh very little, they're very light, but the other thing that you need to do is if you bleed them with a block inside, they are going to feel like total garbage. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have a long pull and just start to hit once you get to the grip. So don't use a block. Okay. If you bleed them and you have your rotor in there, they will feel better. But this is going to sound a little crazy, but I found this to work after doing like three bleeds. So basically in order to get it so that I didn't have a long lever throw, I went through and I bled the brakes first with a block 
they were very bad. Okay. So then I bled the brakes with the brake rotor. They were better, but still not great. So then what I did is I, on the last bleed, I started bleeding them and got everything. So hooked up the syringe on both ends, took the brake, the caliper one off. And now I'm just bleeding at the front lever, right? Or the lever. That's what you do. And at that point I still had my rotor in and I bled it until it felt strong. Then I took my wheel out. Yes. And then I squeezed the brake a few times and got rid of any bubbles there, squeezed the brake a few times again. The pads weren't completely locked, right? Mm-hmm. But they were they were too tight to fit a rotor in there. Okay. I then went back in and I just gapped it slightly with the pad gapping tool that okay. comes from SRAM, put it back in. I'm getting no rub on my brake rotors and I have a very short throw. Gotcha. It feels very good. Interesting. So it's a kind of a process, but you can get them if you're the type of person that likes a really short throw. That's a way to get it because you don't have contact pad adjustment. Gotcha. So so just so if I can get this, so they take you take a guide, yes, the, your guide RSC or guide yeah. ultimate that yeah. has a four piston caliper and a yeah. short a lever, four piston, yeah, 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 yes, and you're going down to two pistons and a really long lever, and yes. it almost works as good as a guide, right? No, I'd say it works as good. Okay, it works as good. Okay, yeah. that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, just so you know, if you ran a set of like XTR nine thousands or ninety twenties, <laughs> they only have two pistons and they have short levers and they work better than all the guides. Just better is a relative term here. Yeah, like they stop you. Yeah. <laughs> really well. <laughs> and they're lighter. We'll pick up this battle at another time. <laughs> Fishing reels. Just remember that, bro. Fishing, Fishing reels. reels. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this. Please keep sending in your questions. Hopefully, we can get through them all, then get to a different episode where we do more than just cover the questions. Uh, we don't want this just to become a Q&A podcast. We think covering the happenings of the sport and everything else in specific topics, we think that's something we should do. Yes. Um, but send us your feedback. You can do so at mtbpodcast.com. Submit your questions there. Subscribe, subscribe to the podcast and please share it with your friends. You can also get some sweet swag there. Swag. So check it out, mtbpodcast.com. We'll talk to you all next week. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.